1: First guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot?
0: She is my flower, and she blooms for the ones who love her best. The miners stop to watch as she walks. They know her love is not for sale. She will never fail me because I know I watch her grow. And the mother of a miner's child waits for me beside the kitchen door. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot, Song by Song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today are two fellow Lightfoot fans from Bettendorf, Iowa, making their second appearance on the show, Kevin and Aaron Hester. So today we're talking about Mother of a Miner's Child from Old Dan's Records, that's the 1972 release, or the second of the two releases that Gordon Lightfoot made that year. Why did you want to talk about this song? What does it mean to you personally?
2: My thoughts is it shows a deep, abiding love for each other, an ode to working people, working hard to pay bills and put food on the table, patience and unconditional love, which is a very important, striving to make a better life for each other, hoping their child finds an easier way to make a living, which they talk about, hardworking and determined to rise up and go forward.
0: Well, you really hit on a lot of the things that I had, too. It's a really vivid picture of this couple. And he is this hardworking miner. She's this devoted homemaker. And I can almost smell as I listen to the song, I can almost smell the coal dust in their house. I can feel Mm -hmm. the creaking of the floorboards under my feet. This is probably a very small house, probably dilapidated. It's probably been there for a very long time. And I think there's a good chance that it's in a company town. So it was built with economy in mind and certainly not with luxury or anything like that. For me, the best time of the day to listen to this song would probably be at dusk or around the time that the miner would be coming home. Because I think that's the mindset that Lightfoot had in mind when he wrote the song. Is that a time of day that you think would be appropriate to listen to it?
2: Pretty much. Like after a hard day's work, throughout the day you're coming home and you you feel like you want to sit on the front porch or in front of a fireplace and just listen to the words because it just has a lot of meaning to you.
0: Lightfoot does have a thing about miners and mining. There's a song that he did on the Sunday concert called Boss Man, and he used to sing the song Dark as a Dungeon, which is by Ewan McCall, and I think that's about a coal mine. Do you, either of you hear any sort of musical or lyrical influences on this song from either other artists or other songs?
1: When he talks about not having enough money to spend and their needs are more important than their wants, 16 tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford.
0: Yeah, really good idea. That song is a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more dramatic, but it's the same sort of attitude of it's a dead-end job, and it's a thankless job, and it's tremendously hard work, and it's not something that you're ever going to get rich from, and yet it was so vital to American life and, I guess, Canadian life. We'll talk about that a little bit later.
1: He also meant mining in Crossroads, he mentions which would and in Canadian rural Trilogy, he mm-hmm. mentions the word mine.
2: And there's other songs, a couple other songs that actually really don't pertain to him, but it's Coal Miner's Daughter. That was a good song.
0: Yeah. The Loretta Lynn song.
2: Right. Uh-huh.
0: The video that accompanies this song on YouTube includes some stills from that movie, the movie with Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, I remember that.
0: Yet, Lightfoot, as far as I know, has never been a miner. He's never spent any time in mine. So it would be interesting to know if what research he did to sort of get this perspective. Do either of you have an angle on the amount of detail or was this purely imagination on his part?
1: From what I have read, there were some mining operations. I don't know whether it was coal, gold, or other metal in the Aurelia area when he was growing up.
0: Well, that would make sense. I'm, I'm not really familiar with the geology of Ontario, but that would make sense that he would have at least some familiarity with it, if not any experience with it. Let's talk about the lyrics because the lyrics are just beautiful. And he packs a lot into not quite three minutes. She is my flower and she blooms for the one who loves her best. Now, clearly, this is a woman who is single hearted and single minded. And I have to think that he's talking about his wife. The narrator is talking about his wife. The miners stop to watch her as she walks. They know her love is not for sale. Now, that is an allusion to, you know, love being for sale in old time mines and mills. And this is particularly true during the California gold rush. If a woman was around, there was a fair chance that she was a prostitute rather than the wife of one of the miners and if she wasn't a prostitute then there was a good chance that she was running her own business in terms of laundry or hotels or even banking so that's the thing that i thought of you know they know her love is not for sale she's clearly beautiful and she's getting everybody's attention partially because she's a woman partially because she's obviously striking looking She will never fail me because I know I watch her grow. And Mm -hmm. there's three different angles that I had on this. It could be that she's growing, meaning her belly is swelling with the baby she's about to have, because that would fit in with the whole title of mother of a minor's child. Or she could be growing in maturity. Mm -hmm. Or when she's saying, I know I've watched her grow. It could be that he has known her all his life, that they grew up together in this same setting of a mining town. And so he knows everything about her. Do either of those two other alternatives make any sense to you?
2: I would say it's in her maturity that she is growing. That's a good trait, though, for her, because the way it's telling you is that she's very devoted to her husband because they are married and... In a marriage, you have to work together. It's like takes two to, to work together in a marriage to make it work.
0: Yeah, and it's probably not the case that this is somebody he's shacking up with. I mean, this is right. somebody he is married to.
1: I picture the whole situation as a small mining town where everybody knows everybody. I think they probably came from a long, both came from long time mining families, and basically they grew up together. With him being maybe a few years older, probably went to the, quote, community, one-room school, etc. And the relationship went from a little boy-girl teasing, as the kids always do, to friendship and then love. And like most couples, they may, may have had a few trials, but these trials only strengthen their love and resolve for each other.
0: We'll be right back with Kevin and Aaron Hester talking about Mother of a Minor's Child. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners we <laughs> Radio is so much different than it was in the 80s. We had it all. The music, the movies, the DJs, and morning shows. Back to the 80s Radio is a show from the 80s in podcast form. We bring the memories from that awesome decade back. Join Toscano and Chang every Friday as they take you on a ride back in time, sharing their experiences and laughs. Stop on by and discover some of the wacky things this crazy duo comes up with. They talk about it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the greatest decade. Don't miss the greatest 80s podcast in the world. Back to the 80s Radio, And the mother of a miner's child waits for me beside the kitchen door. She's just content to be a homemaker or to just dedicate herself to the family. She's there when he gets home from the mine. If she has any ambitions or dreams of her own, she's completely put them on hold because she's needed right now urgently to be doing what she's doing. She is my light in this place where the darkness never ends. Now, clearly he's talking about the darkness of the mines. But then he goes into this nice life metaphor. She'll guide me where the tunnels twist and bend. And it's an interesting metaphor because coal mines have caverns and tunnels and pathways that go all over the place. Yes, Yes, And life is also like that. Life is twisting and bending metaphorically in ways that we don't expect. And he's depending on her wisdom. She's guiding. She's not just there along for the ride. She's the one who's actually going to have the wisdom to make the decisions for the family. Mm -hmm. She's the only one who listens when I tell her I got less than I can spend. Yeah. And she knows what their economic situation is, but maybe others like his buddies don't take him seriously. I mean, maybe they're always inviting him out to party because we've seen that in those kinds of settings. We know that that was what nightlife was like for guys in mines historically, or maybe he's talking about creditors or people that just want money from him continuously. So When he says, I got less than I can spend, clearly he's talking about being broke. But is there any other angle to that particular phrase from either one of you?
1: Well, once again, I see shades of 16 tons. I owe my soul to a company store. The miners control in a town and basically your life. So sure, there were opportunities to spend money at a death store. Other families did and put themselves in debt. They don't have a lot of money. And what they do have must go to take care of family needs and not their wants.
0: Yeah, and at least not their... their wants right well, now.
2: Um, it just tells me that he, he works very hard for his money. And he knows he has a family to take care of to um, pay the bills and food to eat and, and everything. And, and she listens and knows that things are tough right now. But she loves him and understands he works hard so that one day they will make their dreams come true.
0: You know, and it's interesting that we don't really know what their dreams are at this point, no. except that it's not to be there. You right. know, it's not to be in that situation. We'll come back to that in just a minute. She knows the pace, which to me is just a generalized statement for she knows the score. She knows what's up. She knows what life is like. She has her feet exactly. on the ground. Oh, mother of a miner's child, wash away the coal dust from my face. And my sense is that she has done this before. Maybe she does this every day as soon as he gets home because she doesn't want coal dust coming into this house. And the house is probably nothing special at all, but she doesn't want anything dirtying it up. So that's why she's having to wash away the coal dust. When the nice shift's done, she'll be waiting by the table when I come, searching for another dream to chase. Now... Again, she's waiting for him to listen to how his day went. But that comes back to this whole idea of, you know, another dream. Who's doing the searching here? She'll be waiting by the table when I come searching for another dream. Is she doing the searching? Is he doing the searching? Are they both doing the searching? What do you think?
1: Well, I could see that actually while she's waiting for him to come home, maybe she's looking through the famous Sears catalog.
0: Yeah. Whatever
2: catalog, (laughs) a book of some kind.
0: Yeah. Well, that he's right, though. I mean, the Sears catalog, particularly, I mean, this was not true so much in the 20th century, but in in, uh, the late 19th century, you got that. And that was, you know, if they didn't have it, you didn't need it. You know, anything you could think of, you know, if you were an American anywhere in the United States in the 1880s uh, and probably Canada too, you could find it there. And Sears and Roebuck, you know, were very good about doing that. But do you think, Kevin and Aaron, that the song is talking about something other than, well, let's acquire something from a catalog?
1: Well, there again, it could have been, she could have been reading novels about faraway places, dreaming of a place to go, of new life.
0: Yeah. And I think they're also talking about, we don't really know what they say in this conversation, but. They're talking about they wish they were someplace else, we don't know exactly. where, but certainly not there, or that he wants to quit this job and move away, and either that there's going to be some opportunity or they'll have saved enough, or maybe that he's just trying to run out the clock on that particular career. Oh, mother of a miner's child, I know that you still think about the day when we'll be moving on. So he's looking towards the future, a life where he doesn't have to do this, where he doesn't have to quite literally put his life on the line every single day, because coal mining was and is a notoriously dangerous job. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just from the instant death that can happen if a shaft caves in, but you're likely to have coal dust, get black lung, get pneumonia, all mm-hmm. of those things that they may or may not have known about back in the day. But they're talking about moving on. That's not mm-hmm. dying. I mean, they're talking about when yeah. they don't have to be in this situation. They're, I don't want to say daydreaming, but they're certainly talking about their ambitions. We'll be right back with Kevin and Aaron Hester talking about mother of a minor's child. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Books Boys. Every month the Dean and PJ tell you all about the books they've been reading and make some recommendations
0: from our old favourites.
1: Plus surprise call-ins from authors to talk about the works that they're writing, original music, prize giveaways, and more. That's Books Boys on BooksBoys.com and all good podcatchers. Books Boys. Get it. Buy
2: it.
0: The next part is interesting to me. Remember, dear old daddy, and the promise that I made to carry on. I guess what I'm wondering is what do you think he means by carrying on?
2: Basically, carrying on the tradition that his dad did he wants to make him proud. And when he gets to that point where he can't continue on, he knows there's a better life out there, but it's a matter of being patient and taking time, working hard and taking one day at a time.
0: Yeah. I wonder about that because it's not, I'm not familiar with anybody who works in a coal mine. So I'm in some ways, I don't know what I'm talking about. On the other hand, while there's certainly dignity in that work, it's yeah. probably not something you know. I was a coal miner, and yeah. my father was a coal miner, and my great grandfather yeah. was a coal miner, and you've got to be a coal miner too. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know if carrying on means you know that there's pride yeah. in this tradition, or whether it's carry on the tradition of just taking care of your family. Right.
1: What I had an idea, remember, dear old daddy, and a promise that made to carry on. I think this could be addressed to either his dad or her dad to his, it will be, Hey, I'll remember family values of hard work and to her dad that he will always love, cares, and take good care of her.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the whole idea of family honor, the responsibility you have to take care of your family as opposed to the work itself, because again, there's dignity in that work, but I don't know that it's anybody that would say I'm a coal miner and this is the greatest life ever. I mean, I just don't know. Sometimes I smile in the cage where the cables softly hum, and this is obviously the cage that the miners take or the elevator to go down to the shaft every day. I'd curse that old straw boss to the bone, but the mother of a miner's child is waiting for her paycheck to come home come Saturday. Now, a straw boss, I looked this up, we usually think of that as an assistant to a foreman. He's kind of the drill sergeant. He's kind of in charge of supervising and expediting the work of a small group of workers. And the narrator here is clearly fed up with the straw boss. We don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because he's snitching, maybe because he's driving them too hard, maybe because he's just a a bureaucrat, but he knows that he can't act on his dislike or his hatred because the family needs the money. And if he loses this job, there is nowhere for them to go.
2: Mm -hmm. Correct.
1: I agree with that. Also, the smile, the first line, sometimes they smile in the cage where the cable softly hum. If you have ever worked around machinery, driven a car, you get used to the certain noises the car normally makes. And if you hear those noises, you know everything is fine.
0: So he's smiling because he realizes that he's not in any danger?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. very well, could be. Correct, Yeah.
0: And he may also be smiling just thinking about his wife. Um, Exactly. And he is just a miner's boy. I hope that he will find a better way. Now, here, we don't really know, you know, who he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about his own son, although that's a pretty abrupt turn. You know, he's talking about the straw boss. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about his kid. That's one, although it's a really abrupt change. But he might be talking about the straw boss, too, because this is a guy who's stuck in the same kind of job, a job that he probably hates, a job he probably didn't have a whole lot of choice in. This is all he ever knows. okay? And he realizes that this guy, he gets irritated with him, but I hope he has the same fortune that I hope I have in terms of getting out of the coal mines. Am I wrong?
1: I see it basically as being addressed to the couple's son. But your point at being addressed to either the straw boss or all other minors
0: makes perfect sense, also. It does make more sense in one sense that he'd be talking about his own son. But on the other hand, how does he get from talking about the straw boss and then five words later he's talking about his kid? There's no transition there we can't be sure what lightfoot mm-hmm. was doing but you know to me the narrative that was yeah. that was a pretty abrupt turn and then the first verse repeats and then he finishes mm-hmm. up the song yeah so the song appeared on old dan's records in 1972 he had come out with don quixote earlier that year yeah. and then this came out i think in november of 1972 mm-hmm. What is your favorite musical aspect of the song? And obviously, the words are beautiful, but musically, what appeals to both of you about it?
1: Usual finger picking that he does is phenomenal.
2: Yeah. You know, the lyrics is the most important, but with the music going with the lyrics, I mean, that makes a difference, too. So it's a matter of how you play it. But like I said, the guitar picking and
0: things, that makes it unique. Aaron, you kind of said it. I mean, it's so stripped down. Um, Mm -hmm. It is one acoustic guitar. It's a six string and it's Rick Haynes bass coming in somewhere Mm -hmm. in the middle of the song. And that is all the instrumentation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The guitar is expertly being picked. I don't know how many takes they did to get it. Okay, But the guitar is perfectly in tune. We don't have any hint that they had to engineer this at all. And the song does not need anything else. And I think if they tried to put anything else in with this recording, it wouldn't be the same and it wouldn't work.
2: Right, it would overpower it basically if you put too many things in there.
0: Yeah, and when you think about the number of people who played on this record, I'm positive that it was Gordon who was playing the guitar on this and I'm positive that it was Rick Haynes playing bass. But if you look at the other personnel on the album, you would think, okay, is anybody else going to step in yeah. on this thing? And they don't. I mean, Terry Clements no. played on it. Red Shea, of course, Barry Keene, Dave Brown, Bruce and Larry Good, and Nick DeCaro, again, doing the orchestral arrangements. Yeah. Okay. Ollie Strong was playing Steel. And none of that showed up on this song and you didn't need any of it. No, exactly.
1: Uh-uh. I did find on a Lightfoot internet companion that Originally, they had Red Shade playing dobro on it, but they eliminated that track.
0: And I'm glad they did, because yeah. the dobro, I'd have to really think about what that would sound like, but it really doesn't need it. Maybe you have one other guitar way deep yeah. down in the mix. Maybe you have that. You don't have to have it. You certainly don't need any electric guitar. You don't need any percussion. You don't need a piano. Yeah. You don't need any strings. This is perfect the way it is. And I think that Lightfoot probably listened to the thing and said, let's don't touch it. You know, let's take the dobro out. That's why I said a perfect place to listen would be on a porch at night. Just for somebody to play acoustic guitar. You know, I think I will sit on my porch uh, when the weather turns, okay, and sing it some <laughs> night. Yeah, You know, because I think I'd be great. perfect for it. We'll be right back with Kevin and Aaron Hester talking about Mother of a Miner's Child, But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Stepping away from folk music for a second, I wanted to tell you about Newsly. It's an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the web has become listenable. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing the narration right away. And they have podcasts as well, trending podcasts from over forty countries, including, of course, Carefree Highway revisited. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the show notes, and use promo code CHR twenty twenty two to receive a one month free premium subscription. That's www.newsly.me. According to Setlist.fm. Lightfoot's only played this song once in concert, but I can't believe that it hasn't been part of his live repertoire. Um, Have either of you heard him play it in concert? No, I haven't. I would love to. Yes. Because it really lends itself to live performance because it is so simple. You don't need a full band. And he probably did this well, we don't know when exactly it was written, but he could have done this in his coffeehouse days. I mean, in the early yeah. 60s, yeah. when he was being discovered by people in upstairs and yeah. some taverns in, in Toronto and setlist.fm, which is fallible and it's done by human yeah. beings. Okay. There's yeah. only one setlist where it mm-hmm. actually showed up. Yes. And that was in uh, Red Rocks, Colorado mm-hmm. uh, on yeah. July 12th, 1975. And... Mm-hmm. He, he may have played it live since then but we don't have any record of it. Right. The song was not released as a single and i can understand why because although it's a sweet beautiful song it's not top 40 material. Right. Um the album went to number 1 in Canada not surprisingly got to number 95 in the US it did not apparently chart in either britain or australia. Not very well yeah. And that may have been the fact that he had released two albums at a time when yeah. most artists didn't release that many in a year. Yeah. There may have been a slight oversaturation of the market. I don't know. It's been re recorded by three different artists. Now, I haven't heard any of these, but maybe you have. ali Bennett, yeah. The Country Gentleman, and Howie Damron. So have you yeah. heard any of the covers? We
2: just actually turned it on on the TV last night with The Country Gentleman to listen to their version. They were pretty good. I think they were kind of bluesy, though, wasn't it? Bluegrass. Bluegrass, right. And they are good, but they I just didn't feel like it was the type of song that they would play the way it's supposed to be played.
0: It doesn't sound like it would be as contemplative. No. Um, no. You know, a no. song.
2: To okay, me, I'm it
1: sounded so- like a 45 record played at 78. Right. It was right. sped <laughs> up way too fast. Yeah. Well, that,
0: that might be funny to listen to, but I think it would kind of wreck the song. I can tell you that, If I could choose anybody to cover this, I'd like to hear Garth Brooks take a shot at it. And I'd like to hear either Doc Watson, if he was still around, or Chris Christopherson do this.
2: I would say there is a couple of them that would do a pretty good job. One, we have heard him sing it, and he does really well. He just sounds just like Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, Brian Eckert.
0: Don't know him, but I'll have and to.
2: Peter Collins is very good. He plays acapella, so he doesn't have any instruments or anything; he just sings it.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. He doesn't do this song, but no, he did the awesome version of Shenandoah, and to me, mm-hmm. this that would could be wonderful. Be in yeah. In the same type of situation.
0: Hmm. So, as we're winding down, I wanted to make sure that I got this in. Before we recorded, you had suggested that I watch an old episode of The Virginian, and it was called, I think, Felicity Springs. And can you guys tell me why you think there's a connection between the show and the song?
2: I felt that it was, it kind of fit this, even though she wasn't married or anything and they weren't working in the mines, but she was like a sweetheart of a lady. Everybody loved her. She was beautiful. It was a teacher for kids, but she just had a personality that you couldn't even dream because everybody loved her in the town and everybody was just drawn to her because she had such a personality and she was both beautiful and talented and smart.
0: There was a real sweetness to the character and... When I watched it and I finished it up last night, mm-hmm. I could see why she would be just the epitome of everything that mm-hmm. this mother of a minor's child would be. I don't know if the character in the song would be yeah. as public yeah, as right. the character in the TV show yeah. because she's too busy. She doesn't work outside the home. Yeah. Or, or if she does, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so we just don't know if she would ever have a chance to show yeah. herself as being mm-hmm. that generous, that loving, yeah. that sweet, that kind, uh, mm-hmm. except to the narrator. Okay, so one last question for you. This is something that we didn't talk about last time, but I would like to ask this now. Let's say that you could have some say over Gordon's Lightfoot's set list. When he plays at a capacity theater near you, what would his opening song be in his opening set if the two of you could choose it? And it can be one song that the two of you agree on or two different songs.
2: We were talking about old Dan's records. It's got an upbeat to it. Kind of get the audience going, you know, or cold on the shoulder. Those
1: are usually two of his ending songs, but I'm sure you don't want to. Put anything too reflective, and because people are still coming in, you just want them to be get them up and primed for the show.
0: I think that is kind of a trademark of every good show that I've ever yeah. been to, where it was something to really kick the show off with a bang that it would get people moving, that it would be right. upbeat, that it wouldn't necessarily be something you're going to sit down and light incense and think about. Right. The one exception I heard of that was I saw James Taylor in, I think, 90 or 91, and he led off his first set with Secret of Life, which is a very quiet, very philosophical Mm -hmm. song. But then he's James Taylor. You know, he can get away (laughs) with that. Yeah. And he's no longer, and at that point, I don't think he really was competing for, you know, chart time or radio plays right, because he'd right. been established. Lightfoot right. wasn't that way in the 70s. He had to compete with, you know, yeah. everybody and their dog. Yeah. So any final thoughts on the song from either one of you? Like I
1: said, it's an epitome of a love song, although people may not realize it. It is a true love song of what love really represents. Couldn't
0: have said it better myself. Kevin and Aaron Hester, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a lot of fun to talk to both of you, and I hope I, you can come back on again soon. Okay, yep.
2: thank you very much. Thank
0: you very much. We enjoyed it. And thanks for listening, everyone. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. And our Patreon page is www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Our next episode will be coming on or about the 1st of April, and it will feature Edward Lewick. He will be coming on to talk about Redwood Hill from the Summer Side of Life album from 1971. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. She is my flower And she blooms for the one who loves her best The
1: miners stop to watch her when she walks They know her love is not for sale She will never fail me because I know I watched her grow Mother of a miner's child Waits for me beside the kitchen door